Welcome to Level with Emily Reese. This is music by composer Lee Jackson. It's the theme song for Duke Nukem 3D called Grab Bag. Lee talks about writing music for Duke Nukem, Rise of the Triad, making sounds for Balls of Steel. These are all games from Apogee Software slash 3D Realms. Lee also takes commissions to write new music, so we talk about that. And his albums on Bandcamp that include music he wrote inspired by Duke Nukem and other Duke tunes. No video for this interview, but please do head over to the Level with Emily YouTube channel to find our newest videos, and always subscribe if you would. It was such a pleasure speaking with Lee, learning more about his background and his music, and talking to him about his musical journey. And here is Lee. Well, I'm pretty much best known for games of the 90s. Um, games such as Rise of the Triad, Duke Nukem 3D, Shadow Warrior, and Star Gunner. Those are the four games that I wrote music for. I also did uh, sound editing for uh, several games, uh, Duke, Shadow Warrior, and Star Gunner. Uh, and Balls of Steel was another one I did some sound, sound editing and recording for. A uh, little sound design on as well. Most of my uh, experience beyond that uh, in the gaming realm has been as a uh, commissioned artist. I just started that up last year. I'd had a couple of people approach me wanting me to write some music, and I've told them that I haven't had uh, the time or the ability because I've been on disability income, social security disability income for several years now, almost 10 years um, due to some problems with just overall general health and with chronic pain syndrome. And one thing has led to another this year. And we figured out that I can do some things as long as I keep it below and a certain amount, that amount being around $1,300. I can go ahead and write music and make that little amount of money per month. And apparently there are some people who are willing to pay that amount. And that's how I've gotten myself back into the business. And uh, on this go around, it's mostly people who are involved in the doom side of things i'm sure you're probably aware with doom aware of doom mm -hmm. uh, who isn't that kind of thing <laughs> uh, i did not realize that i had a doom following it turns out that a lot of people on the doom side have been using my music from rise of the triad as uh music for their own levels uh their own custom wads as they call them and i've had a lot of People who've just asked permission to put some of my old stuff into WADs, but then now I had a couple of people ask me to write stuff for WADs, and I jumped I jumped in on that train, and that led to doing the commission work, and that started back up in December, and it's going. I wouldn't say at a snail's pace, but uh, going at a rather rather rapid snail's pace. Let's put it that way right now. 
I, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned Rise of the Triad because, I mean, it's, it's, I loved hearing that soundtrack for the first time, uh, you know, because of course I never played it. And I think that would be one of the most fun styles to, to write in, kind of like noir-ish kind of, but you also did some really, you know, other track, like there's a Havana track or something like that that I really enjoyed. And, um, uh, Havana Smooth, yes. Yeah, <laughs> that track is great with, you know, Cuban rhythms and all. And just for context, for those listening, uh, it was a Twitter friend who who pointed you out to me and said, "Listen to this Rise of the Triad music and and listen to Suck This, which is a really great track." <laughs> and uh, and I just want to know what it was like to write in in that style, kind of this uh, you know spy kind of shooter uh, uh, situation. Well, I have to give you a little bit of a caveat on that as well um there really wasn't a planned style for rise of the triad oh interesting rise of the triad was written over the course of six weeks there were 28 songs written in a six-week span that's very fast (laughs) that's all the time that i was given to write it wow (laughs) There is a story behind that. It's it, it was my baptism by fire in the gaming world because I had been pestering people to let me write music for games for ages up at the company that I had worked at, which was Apogee Software, uh, before they had opened up the 3D Realms arm. I was a tech support person. That's how I got into the company. I joined as a tech support person. You could call it a a successful escape attempt from the Internal Revenue Service, the place where I worked previously. Oh, wow. Um, I was just stuck in a dead-end position at the IRS. Mm. And through the miracle of bulletin boards, I got connected with a couple of people who were working tech support with Apogee Software. And they managed to get me an interview up here. And I probably committed every faux pas in the book during the interview, uh, up to and including bringing my wife to the interview. (laughs) But I got the job anyway and wound up going in and meeting over the course of a few months some of the developers from the Rise of the Triad project, which originally was being called Wolfenstein to the sequel to the Wolfenstein 3D game. One of them gave me a MIDI program, program for writing MIDI songs, and thus unleashed the gates of hell for everyone to see. I went home and tried to create a sped up game version of Chopin's Death March or Funeral March or whatever it's called. Yeah. And except mine went at dum dum da 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 d
brought that up to the project head of Rise of the Triad. And he played it with uh, the project team standing around looking over my shoulder and with me turning beet red uh, as it was being played. And I realized that there were a bunch of things wrong with it. It could have been done a lot better. And then the, the song ended and it was just this sort of uh, uncomfortable silence. Uh, he took the disc out, handed it back to me, and he said, keep trying. So I kept trying. <laughs> and that was the worst thing that he could have told me was keep trying. Because uh, <laughs> I, I really did. I, I just kept bombarding them with MIDI file after MIDI file after MIDI file. Wow. And uh, eventually I brought up enough useful files that they wanted to have me do the music. The, the person who was originally signed to do the music wasn't doing the music at a fast enough rate for them or wasn't doing it in the right, wasn't giving them the right feel for the game. So they called me into the office one day uh, out of the tech support room and said, OK, here's the deal. You can write the music for Rise of the Triad, but you're going to have to do it on your own time at home. You'll get some time, but you're going to have to come up here during lunch and work hours while everybody else is taking lunch. Work the phones. And then when everybody's had lunch, you can go back home and keep working on it. Wow. So I was working two jobs at the time. The tech support and doing... The music. So my day would be, I'd wake up, roll out of bed, get some food in me, get to work on the music. Then when lunch would come up, I'd get up there, get on the tech support phone lines, wait for everybody to get through with things. Then I'd go back to the developers. Tom Hall was the developer head at the time. And I'd go over what I'd written with him We'd make changes or accept songs, uh, depending on how good or bad they were. And then when we'd finished our discussions, I'd go home and I'd continue work until it was time to go to bed. That was Jeez. a day for me over six weeks time. And wow. like I said, 28 songs came out of that. And when I was done with it, I went right back into the tech support room. Now, do you, because you had computer, you know, programming experience or you had tech experience, how do you think that helped you to write music like this with that, you know, whatever equipment you were using to, to write music then? Well, I kind of had to learn it on the fly. I dug into a lot of other people's stuff. Like I said, when I was on the bulletin board services, there were always MIDI files to be downloaded and studied. And I was voracious when it came to that. I'd grab other people's music that uh, they'd posted to uh, listen to it. I'd dig into it, see how it was put together, uh, see 
what I liked, what I didn't like, see how I could make changes to it and make it sound better, how I'd make changes to it and make it sound worse sometimes. It was just a matter of experimenting with it. You know, you always want to, it's like trying to come up with a mixed beverage. You know, when you've got your basic liquors and your basic mixers, and it's just a matter of getting the right ratio together. And sometimes you want to want to just throw in something and see what it tastes like with it. No, even though you, you're pretty sure it's not going to taste right, sometimes it surprises you. That's what I would do with some of these things. So were you always wanting to be a composer then? Well, I don't know, honestly. I, I thought about that for a long time, and I can't say if I wanted to be a composer or a musician or what. Uh, I've had music in me for a very long time, going back to when I was at least five years old. I mean, my mother pounded classical music into me. I mean, some of it that she pounded into me stuck and I loved it. Things like Switched on Bach. Yes. <laughs> she got that album and I just was an instant fan of it. Scheherazade, mm. she played that album and I liked it very much. Mm-hmm. Brahms and Beethoven, and not quite so much. They they didn't they didn't stick with me as much. Interesting. Yeah. Bach, yes, I stuck very well with him, and I I was always on the the baroque side of classical when it came down to picking favorites. Yeah, I love baroque. That's like one of my favorite. Era. I I also love harpsichord, which is a little weird. A lot of people aren't a huge fan of that, but I I love it, and so that made it very easy for me to fall in love with Bach and Rameau and Couperin and all of those folks, Telemann and all that stuff. I love it. I like that stuff too. Um, Telemann, um, I had to play some of that when I was in college, and it kind of burned me out some. Uh, I was a bassoon, I was a bassoon major, and when you played Telemann on, on bassoon <laughs> or something arranged by him, uh, arranged from him, it gets a little tedious. But what I had back then at age five got mixed in with top forty stuff that she would play, mm. and everything saturated yeah and at the same time my father was a country music and easy listening person oh, that wow. stuff rolled off me like water off the back of a duck <laughs> yeah i mean if you're liking Shahrazad, i can understand why you might not like you know easy listening but well the thing is though some of it did manage to penetrate i mean if you've ever heard of a country music artist by the name of floyd kramer Piano player. Bum, bum, dum, da, da, dum, da, dum.
He had a very interesting style where he would actually do a lot of grace notes on a very simple song. Hmm. Another one that I tended to like a lot was uh, Charlie Pride. When all your loves have ended, when all your friends have flown, who'll be around to want you when all your loves have gone? And that was about it. Uh, maybe a little bit of Bob Wills and his Texas Playboys, but not so much for the, uh, my truck left me tonight and ran away with my dog. And next thing I knew, she's kicking the winning field goal for the opposite team kind of songs. Those I never did get into, but if it had an IQ to it, I could, I could enjoy it. And those, those kinds of songs that I just mentioned did. They told a story. If it was a song that told a story, I could get into it. If it was just a song about whining about something, no. <laughs> I really didn't get into those. Even some classical music, songs about whining about something, you know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> trying to mix everything that I heard and come up with a, co a cohesive slab to make music out of. Mm -hmm. And by the time it was sixth grade rolled around and it was time to go into junior high school and make a decision on what my electives were going to be, I actually chose to take Spanish hmm. language lessons. And my mother grabbed my elective sheet and said, no, you're not. You're taking band. <laughs> and I was visibly upset over that. Turned out she was right. I wound up playing bass clarinet for three years in junior high school, switched over to bassoon in high school. Although I played percussion whenever I was marching, you don't march a bassoon. <laughs> no. No. And kept the bassoon on through uh, what little time I spent at the University of Texas at Austin as a music ed major. But did I plan any of that? From the very beginning, no. It just kind of happened. I mean, bassoon, I mean, if I could do it all again, it'd either be clarinet or bassoon. I mean, I, I chose trumpet, but I love bassoon. Love, love, love bassoon. And it has such just a special place in all of music. I just I love it. Such a unique instrument. Um, and often kind of lumped in with bass, the bass sounds, but also kind of the tenor sounds in the, in the band and orchestra, right? And, mm -hmm. and when I heard your music for the first time, I, I was like, this guy's got to be a bass player because your bass lines are just so great. <laughs> and, and a lot of times when you hear really intricate, interesting bass lines, not all the time, because here we have you. You're not a bass player, and you did this. But, I mean, I just totally assumed you're a bass player. So do you think that's because you were, like, bass clarinet and bassoon and, like, kind of hanging out in that low area that you kind of – that's kind of a foundation for you? Or, or where do you think that comes from? I think you're probably right on that. I, uh, I feel bass. Uh, it, it resonates with me. I – I've always started a musical idea with a bass foundation. Uh, 
built on top of that to come up with an idea. Very rarely have I gotten a piece going that's up in the upper register and then put things down below that, although that just thinking about that right now gives me an idea. But yeah, I'll occasionally start with some percussion, but then the the bass comes in right below that. It's just the way that a song starts for me. Uh, you've got to have a bass track and build your mid-range on top of that, build your accompanying parts on top of that, and then lay down your melody. And I don't know about the intricacy part of it. Uh, apparently, I must have been doing something right. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I've had some good uh, influences. Uh, the late Matt Seligman, uh, bass player for Thomas Dolby. Um, oh. He was an excellent, excellent bass player and played some of the more, as you say, intricate bass patterns for songs. I mean, the man could make a bass jump and twirl in his <laughs> hands. And I've listened to Thomas Dolby's music so much that his patterns and uh, technique have been uh, burned into me. Um, some of the stuff from Stevie Wonder's music, oh, uh, yeah. like on the song Superstition, mm -hmm. what he did in the left hand on uh, the clavinet on that song. Yeah. The song Brick House. Not very often do I get in influenced by a certain artist as I'll get influenced by a certain song. Sure. I mean, I don't take an entire person's body of work. I, I just can't. It's not long enough. or There's just too much going on in other people's bodies of work. And, mm -hmm. and I'll, I'll hear one song here, one song here, one song here, and grab stuff from there. And there's my influences. And, I mean, you know with Duke Nukem and the music there, there's, I mean, there's so much like kind of rock metal kind of, you know, very aggressive, energetic um, music. And, and so I'm curious about that world because, you know, you mentioned the classical influence from your mom and the pop music also, but then a little bit of country, little bit of, I can't remember what else, oh, easy listening, even though you might not have liked it, it's, you're still hearing it. But, you know, we haven't talked about this, that giant piece of rock and roll, right? And like how that right. comes in. So uh, talk about, you know, what it was like to write the music for Duke Nukem then, since it's very different than, you know, Rise of the Triad, for instance. There's an instance where I did go into a game and I had a set goal for a mm -hmm. genre. Um, Duke was going to be uh, rock, heavy metal type character. Uh, so I had to set things up and get 
some influences before I even got started. I went to the developers and level designers and asked to borrow some CDs from them. And they gave me plenty of material to listen to. Uh, Ozzy Osbourne slash Black Sabbath. I would get things from groups like Pantera, Blue Oyster Cult. I can't name everything that I had. Metallica, Megadeth, everything along those lines from the, the 70s heavy metal era. Mm-hmm. Not, not strictly restricted to the 70s metal, metal era, but things that fell in the, that range and yeah. nearby. And I took those home after I got off work one night. Now, this was when I was still working in the tech support room. Oh, I wow. had not, yeah. I, after Rise of the Triad, like I said, I went back to the tech support room and I was not, not made a full composer for the company hmm. yet. Uh, I was expected to go back to where I belong, you know, get back to where you once belong. I don't know if I'm a Beatles man or an Elvis man. I, I guess I'm a Beatles man. Nice. Uh, but I did from there what I called the binge. Um, I took all of these records and listened to them all at once. Well, not all at once, all in one <laughs> sitting. And after going through all of them, I mean, it was at least at least a dozen CDs, if not more. We had a small team. Got my thoughts together after listening to everything, and I opened up my uh, MIDI editor and started writing some music based on influences that I got from the pieces of music that I just listened to. Just as an experiment, I tried taking an influence from one song, taking a riff from another song, grabbing a, a lick from another song, pulling something from something else, you know, just like reaching your hand into a bag and grabbing something out of it. And when it came time for me to save the file that I was working on, I didn't have a title for it. So instead of trying to sit there and come up with a title for it, I decided the best thing I should do is just give it the title of what I've been doing for the past hour or two hours. Call it Grab Bag. I love that because honestly, Lee, I would not have asked you, I would not have asked you why you named it that, but I thought it was, I don't think weird is the right answer, but I knew that was an unusual name, but I, I, I love that. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> that's, how, that's how it got its name. It was originally written as a level song, uh, just something to go out and uh, kill the bad guys. I brought it up once I was more or less done with it. I wasn't completely done with it. My, mark that. I was not completely done with it when I brought it up. 
uh, I still had a couple of solos and uh, some more theme to go before I finished it. And I wound up bringing it up and letting the team listen to it. They tried putting it in some levels to see how it went, and they seemed to like it. Well, about a week or two later, this happened while we were, the the whole team was out on a team building deal, I guess you could call it. Uh, We didn't really have team building sessions. We were much more relaxed than that. We were just all standing in line to go see uh, the preview of Star Trek Generations. Nice. (laughs) Yeah. And I was standing in front of the team leader, Greg Malone, who tapped me on the shoulder. I turned around and he said, oh, by the way, we're going to use Grab Bag as the theme song for the game. You could have knocked me over with the beam from a flashlight. I went, um, er, uh, why? <laughs> he said, well, me and the head of the company went through it and went through all of the songs that we had last night, and that one sounds most like a theme song. Hmm. I said, well, it's not finished. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're still going to use it. So the next day, I frantically put some you know, finishing touches on it sweetened it up a little bit didn't have time to really finish it out but i went ahead and uh, got it to where i wasn't embarrassed by it (laughs) and that's the version that's in the game itself the version that loops around uh, without having a guitar solo and without having a synthesizer solo now after the game was released to the public they decided they were going to release a bunch of extra levels. Now, those I was given to do by myself. I didn't share those with our other composer, Bobby Prince, who's a real gentleman. He's a great composer. If you haven't interviewed him, you need to. Okay. He is He's wonderful. Uh, they uh, gave me those levels, and I took advantage of that time to finish out Grab Bag. And it went out as an audio track on the CD for the extended levels, the game with the extra levels. So if you accidentally put your game audio CD in your CD player and let it play, it would play grab back. it was a real good version um in between all this stuff i got made music and sound director for 3d realms i don't remember the exact timeline but i I do remember that it was in january of uh, 1996 that i got made music and sound director for for the company The only caveat that I had there was that I had to produce sound effects, which was something that I'd never done. Oh, okay. (laughs) So steep learning curve, very steep. Yeah. 
Did you end up enjoying doing sound design like that? Because some composers do it and love it, and some composers do it and hate it. Uh, I, I guess you could call me on the three quarters on the way on the side towards hating it. Uh, <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't give me a a recording room or a foley stage or anything like that. Oh uh, wow! They they wanted me to get all my sounds off of CDs. So oh. it was a hunt for uh, getting everything from off of existing CDs and begging for new CDs, you know, to try and keep from recycling old stuff. Mm-hmm. So it got very tedious at times. Sure. I mean, they expected me to process the no- the sounds that they had on those CDs and magically somehow come up with new sounds that nobody had ever heard before. Well, that just didn't work. You did it, though. I mean, you did end up doing it, and that's remarkable, given the tools you had. Didn't do it that well. I only really did sound effects for Shadow Warrior. Okay. And and some for Balls of Steel. That was the one game that I did really did recording on. I We had a pinball game in... Well, in a conference room, I think it was Elvira Scared Stiff. (laughs) And I took that game apart and was rolling the pinball all over the place. And I had a microphone that I would hold and I would chase the ball around on the board (laughs) or I'd have a boom on it and I'd throw the mic, the ball past the microphone I was sitting in there recording flippers, recording bouncing items, you know, those bumpers. I'd throw the ball at a bumper and try and record what the bumper sound would would be. <laughs> I've deep sampled the pinball machine. <laughs> and they wound up using that in the in the game. And Sweet. it came it came out pretty good. That's the kind of stuff that I wish I could do with uh, with the other games. But even over that, I wish I could do more music. Well, didn't you write a bunch of kind of Duke Nukem-inspired music much later? Yes, I did. Mm-hmm. Um, there were two instances of that. Um, I got contacted by Gearbox Software to write music for a fifth Duke Nukem set of levels. They were going to be taking Duke all around the world from England to France to Amsterdam, just everywhere. Uh, Egypt, he was going to wind up in there. And it was my job to write music that would uh, capture the essence of a battle and the essence of the architecture and just the general area that things were going to be taking place in. Mm-hmm. And we were going to be able to use technology that wasn't available in the original uh, Duke game. Uh, Duke 3D and its expansion pack, which was called the plutonium pack, put them together. You get what's called the atomic edition. Those were all MIDI for the music, Mm -hmm. for the game music. With the 20th anniversary world tour game, that fifth level, they introduced digital audio that you could use. Nice, yeah. 
looping digital audio with some tricks to where I could loop back to a spot that wasn't the very beginning of the of the file. I could just tell them what sample to loop, loop back to, and they would do that, and boom, it would go. So I could have an intro and then a loop section all within one, one file. So I used that to good measure in all of them, mm-hmm. just about all of them. Yeah. Um, and since it was digital audio, I, did, I didn't have any limitations as to what I could use for instrumentation. Right. everything that I had at the time, just about um, all my hardware synths, um, all of my uh, native instrument contact synthesizers, everything that I could think of that would work. Uh, Everything from a guitar amplified with a Rammstein style uh, amplifier, all the way over to uh, some Western Indian uh, drums that sound like a doombeck but aren't. Okay. And some some flutes from that. Uh, medieval drums, taiko drums, uh, you name it, it's in there. And I mean, one song uses just one synth. Another song uses at, at least five or six. So that was very much a different writing experience altogether then just like you're you've got all this additional creative freedom suddenly very scary you get started on that and it's the the old saw you know it when you've got writing restrictions you know what to write within but when you don't have those restrictions in place it's like my god where do i stop but fortunately i was able to able to rein it in and get a good amount of songs done. Now, the second deal that you're talking about here is a group of songs that I wrote that were inspired by the overall game itself. I just, I wanted to put an album together and I started, uh, started with the premise of what would be a good set of level songs and work from there. You know, if, we're, if you're going to put out a new level, let's do it this way. Okay. And again, I use digital audio, so I had no limits on what I could do and wound up with a good number of songs. I can't remember right off the bat how many songs were in that, but it's a pretty big number. And some of them were experimental, very basic experimental type stuff, repeating repeating glass, uh, not Philip Glass experimental, but just repeating glass plates being knocked into each other. Hmm. Um, others were almost full-blown Viennese orchestral 
as in uh, Gustav Mahler, Mahler's third symphony, first movement <laughs> type <laughs> stuff. Yeah. And it, it was another one where I just went crazy with it. I needed an album to put out, and I got one. <laughs> <laughs> so I worked together with a person down in Australia who I've worked with on some some artwork. Um, her name is Kitty Hawk. And I worked with her to host a special pack that has a setup file that if you unzip it into uh, your Duke Nukem 3D directory, it will allow you to play Duke Nukem 3D with the new songs. Oh, cool. <laughs> so we went like five bucks for that. So just a little bitty thing. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, you mentioned just putting out an album. You wanted to put out an album, and, and you have been putting out albums. Uh, there are two on Spotify and other streaming services, Derivations and Calibrations. And, you know, I'm curious what the inspiration was for those projects. Well, let's start with Calibrations. Calibrations was my first album, and it was... Uh, based off of the 20th anniversary world tour. It was really to sum up what tracks that I'd done for that, plus to add a few tracks onto it. Um, started off with a track that I'd been working on for a long, long time. I started work on it during the uh, Duke Nukem 3D era and it just oh, wow. put it aside for so many years. When I started thinking about putting an album together, I got back to work on it, and that one came out as the first song. I think it's called uh, I think it's called Beehive. And then we added a couple of other pieces, most notably a piece that's uh, dedicated to my late grandparents who lived in a community on a lake outside of Austin called Spicewood. Hmm. And that song there is an ambient experiment. I've made the decision that I want that song played at my own funeral. Did you spend uh, a lot of time there when you were a kid then? Yes. Yeah. A lot wow. of time. Okay. That must be a beautiful memory then. It is. Yeah. It's a nice one. The rest of it is pretty much just the Duke Nukem 20th Anniversary World Tour files just put onto the disc. The title 
as you can tell, is uh, uh, an attempt to keep the Asians bit uh, <laughs> going. Um, I already have my next next album's title in that series pulled up. It's going to be Extrapolations. Nice. So there was no game involved with this one. I'd started off attempting to write a ambient album. And after a couple of songs, I figured out, well, that's not going to work. I got one real good ambient song out of it. And then the rest of them just kind of went. (laughs) They faded out and went flat on me. Hmm. So I went towards another direction with the songs. One of the songs off of Derivations is game uh, is game related. It was originally written for um, an E3 uh, convention uh, back in 1998 in Atlanta. It's called Broken Throttle. And it was intended to go with Duke Nukem Forever. Okay. That was in going in a pretty good direction at that time. Uh, of course, I'm, you're probably aware of the stories of Duke Nukem Forever. I <laughs> I didn't even get to see the end of that. I have to this day I have not played it. But uh, Broken Throttle is something that was a, a demo song to go with a level that they were uh, showing off at E3 and. Until the time I released it, nobody else had ever heard it. You had to have a a special pass to get into the demo to even see the level okay. that it was paired up with. Huh. So that was a bit of a coup right there. But It Shall Be, some pretty decent funk. The name comes from Robin Williams from, I believe, Good Morning Vietnam. He would have one of his, one of his characters be a, a black reporter out in the field. Uh, Roosevelt Lee Roosevelt, I think was his name. <laughs> and he'd bring him on and uh, his intro would be uh, what it is, what it was, what it shall be. And that's where I got that from. I have a shotgun. The next one is my only attempt at writing country music. Then we have uh, Interstate 30, 
and BHI, super cheesy retro mix. <laughs> um, those are some electronic dance music pieces. Interstate 30 being the name of the highway that runs near my house. BHI, I'm going to give away the secret to that right now. BHI stands for Brenda Hates It. That's my wife's name. <laughs> It was just that kind of stuff that was on the track. It was just mm -hmm. various and sundry. And it, it gave me trouble when it came time to fill out forms and say, what kind of genre is your album? Oh, of course. Yeah. I couldn't put down anything. I put jazz in the end as to what my album was. And that really hurt sales. Oh, so, <laughs> oh no. I should have put pop. Yeah. Even though there's not any pop on it. Live some, learn some. Yeah. But that's that's where uh derivations went. And, you know, you mentioned right off the bat uh, when we first started talking about this commission project that you're doing and that you're available for commissions. And um, uh, you your, I think your newest one, right? Aureus Overture? Yes. Uh, you can listen to again on, on streaming services. And it's very, it, it, like Overture is very applicable. It's like, it, it reminds me of that kind of piece of music. You know, it's like this introduction like something is going to happen there's it's military isn't the right word but it's kind of that stately kind of overture type piece so tell tell me about that and its beginnings and and uh yeah well Aureus overture is a piece that was commissioned by mr peter campy he asked for a piece for a game that he's developing uh, it's going to be some some while in the distance before he gets to it, but mm -hmm. he just wanted a piece now. But he was also quite excited to hear the stuff out on the web. So I went ahead and got to work on that. He wanted something that reflected a theme of an an evil Roman Empire, but in outer space. Not quite the the Empire and the Republic from Star Wars, but something a little bit different. Mm -hmm. You've got the Romans out there 
doing their business and not so much rebels as it is uh, just citizens sure. out there. It's been a while since I worked on that, so my my memory is a tad hazy on it. <laughs> but the first thing that came to mind was a fanfare type opening, you know, mm-hmm. you know, bring bring in the charioteers. But this was the first piece that I worked on that allowed me to work with a piece of my musical arsenal uh, from a man uh, by the name of Aaron Venture. He has written a musical library. Well, I wouldn't say written. He's created a musical library uh, called Infinite Brass and another one called Infinite Woodwinds. And they're sample libraries, not in the way of triggering samples of samples of performances, but in the way of triggering samples of sounds. So you hit you play an F on your keyboard and this library generates an F from whatever instrument that you've got selected. Okay. And that's how that works there. So you can call up a full ensemble of bass trumpets playing uh, (laughs) an F major triad. (laughs) Probably one of the worst sounding F major triads you could come up with. (laughs) Perhaps I haven't tried it yet. I didn't include that in the in the piece. Oh, you should try um, it. Yeah. You know, I I kept my uh, instrumentation pretty eh, pretty basic, with the exception of using a, a rare bass instrument called a cimbasso. Mm, mm-hmm. And that really added to the flavor of the bass line. It just sat right in between the trom- trombones and the tuba. And it beefed up the strings a bit. Huh. Uh, my strings came from one of my hardware synthesizers, uh, a Roland SC88 Pro. Sweet. Uh, some people have said that they think they sound a little bit synthy. I don't know. I like my strings off my SC88. But now you get me talking about my sense, I'll talk for hours, and <laughs> we don't want to do that. That's awesome, though. It's, I mean, synth collectors are, you know, you're a different, you're, you're a different breed. You know what you want, and you know what you like. Uh, I mean, I just got a Yamaha MU100. That's the Yamaha version of the SC88. They were both out at the same time, so now I'm going to be able to play the same era different versions uh on my next couple of albums so if anybody's listening to this thinking hey maybe maybe you might want to commission something from this guy here's something else for you to think about you know with that uh aaron venture library i also got a breath controller oh and and it gave me some real realistic trumpet parts i had a pretty high learning curve because I was learning how to play the breath controller and use the trumpet library at the same time.
when you were writing music for games, that's definitely a certain mindset. And then when you're writing these albums and whether or not in the case of um, calibrations, you know, there was much more of an inspiration there from the games. But with derivations, you're saying, you know, various and sundry. This is all kinds of influences and you're just kind of writing music for music's sake. And, you know, I guess I'd like to hear you talk about what you like about that compared to, you know, writing for a project or something, just to be able to write music. Well, what I like about writing for music for music's sake is it just allows you to get things out of your system. There's a certain amount of musical stress, for lack of a better term, built up inside you that you've got to get out sometimes. Mm-hmm. And that's what a pure music album lets you do. Now, the side effect of that is that you wind up building up real stress in your system because <laughs> you're, you've set yourself on a very difficult course. The album is not going to be an easy one to produce. I sat there with four songs completed for quite some while, wondering what on earth I was going to do until I got some more inspiration for things. And even then, I think I wound up with an album that was a little bit on the short side. I mean, it's a full-length album, but it's not like an 80-minute album or a 70-minute album. But it's worth it in the end to deal with the stress, but you sure don't think it's worth it as you're going through it. That's about the best answer I can give you on that. But it ends up being cathartic for you, it sounds like, to to make these records happen. It does, because in the end, you wind up having something that you can really be proud of and really use as a stepping stone to other projects. you because uh you know first of all you're you're you just seem like a fellow with a number of different interests i know that you spent time doing radio which that's a whole other again we could talk about that probably for hours too just because radio is a very specialized world but um there's also this entry in your wikipedia page that i just was so tickled by i ended up telling a bunch of friends about it that i'm going to interview this person who is, you know, does competitions about puns. And I just get the biggest kick out of that. So I I would love for you to tell me about how that became a part of your life, I guess. When did you first realize, hey, I'm really good at making puns and this is something I could, you know, have as a hobby or whatever you consider it to be? Oh, boy. (laughs) Well, I guess you could say I always kind of consider myself a bit of a wise ass. Just a little bit. Um, When it came to manipulating or destroying the language at times, I just like to mess with the English language whenever I had a chance. Um, English teachers, I, I would make fun of them behind their back. But the way I really got started with it was with a broadcast that was on Austin, Texas public access television of the O. Henry 
pun-offs, as it was called at the time. Now, we caught the, the competition in process and couldn't believe that we hadn't heard about it because my wife and I thought that I might be a natural at the thing. Caught it for a couple of years and eventually found out where it was being held at, which was at the O. Henry Homan Museum in uh, downtown Austin, Texas. Okay. And after that, we got in touch with the museum and found out when it's being held and when registration was opening up. So when registration opened, I was one of the first people to get onto the registration list. I wound up buying a couple of books out of uh, bookstores about puns just to kind of hone things. And when the date showed up, I participated. Didn't do too good my first try out there. Wasn't bad, but uh, just wasn't a grizzled veteran like some of the others were. <laughs> yeah. But the punoff was kind of being in, uh, being held hostage by the one guy who was running it. He was wanting to turn it into a franchise, like uh, the guy who runs the eating contests. He's got eating contests all over the country. And the guy who was holding the pun off was wanting to do pun off contests all over the country. Um, one day he decided that he was going to take his ball and go home. That <laughs> left things in the lurch. There was a pun off that year, but it was held by staff members of the museum and it was almost a disaster. So the very next year, I was part of a, a committee that got together. We call ourselves Punsters United Nearly Yearly, or PUNY. <laughs> and our mission was to keep the pun off going and make sure that it did not die an ignominious death. And one of the first things that we did was we changed the name of it. We changed it to the O. Henry Punoff World Championships. Because one of the things we had problems with was getting press coverage. We figured that if we called it the World Championships, people would be more likely to send a camera out or more likely to pick it up and put a byline on it or something like that. Sure. Then we started all kinds of other organizational stuff. And the pun off that year was a success. And I started getting heavy duty into the into the competition at that time about that time and eventually i wound up winning one of the two competitions that they have each year they have on the same day they've got two competitions one is the prepared pun competition which is where you get 90 seconds to deliver a pun that you've created it can be just about any form a shaggy dog story, a rhyme, a song, you name it. And the other part is what they call pun slingers now, where you've got two people up on stage and they pull a topic out of a bad pun bedpan, or at least I think they pull it out of that. They may have switched to a hat now. I don't know. They may have lost the bedpan. <laughs> but they pull a topic out, read it, First person has five seconds to come up with a pun on that topic. 
Next person has five seconds to respond and it goes on and on and on until somebody takes too long or until somebody gets three strikes against them. Uh, In other words, doesn't make the pun or reuses a word, reuses a pun. So that's that. I won the pun slingers competition once and I've won the prepared pun competition twice. Oh, wow. And I've, I've come in second God knows how many times. <laughs> and I've enjoyed every second, though. I mean, do you have any examples of ones that you've had? Is that too hard to remember them? or? Oh, boy. Um, I don't know how well I'd be able to remember it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can imagine. It's not like... Because when you said prepared pun, I assumed it was like something you crafted days ahead of time and then you said you have 90 seconds or whatever it is that's that's a very short amount of time to prepare (laughs) you do craft it however long ahead you some of these things are crafted a year in advance okay Uh, i wound up creating one that was based on john denver's thank god i'm a country boy except that i had taken that and twisted it to, to sound like uh, rank cod and some country poi. Uh, <laughs> a whole song about that. I sang that up there. Oh, wow. Um, I had another one where I delivered a sermon as uh, a Reverend Herb Gardner of the First Church of uh, Spicentology. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And, and in closing... Let me remind you what our first Spicentologist president, John F. Kennedy, said when he said, ask not what your cumin tree cayenne do for you. Ask what you cayenne do for your cumin tree. <laughs> it lacks delivery, but, you know. It's what a delightful uh, hobby, um, interest, you know, and, and I just love that there's a competition for it. That's That's fantastic. I have not been in many years. Mm. Just my health hasn't held up for it. Mm. But uh, the world championship has gone on strong uh, without me. And I'm glad to see that it is still going. They're about to hit their 50th year within the next couple of years. It's just amazing to see that they've actually decided decided that they want to keep this thing going for Mm -hmm. that long. Mm -hmm. I mean... Considering the spot that they're doing it right now, I mean, this is downtown Austin at this little bitty tiny house surrounded by skyscrapers. Really? (laughs) Yeah. I'm surprised that they haven't hauled the house out to the boonies. But uh, no, this is prime real estate that this thing is on. It was the home of William Sidney Porter. It's not the exact location where he lived, but it is the actual home where he lived. They moved it a few blocks and put it on a plat of land Hmm. that they had donated to them. They've got uh, his furniture, some of him and his wife's clothes, and they hold all kinds of events, things of that sort. Well, Lee, um, where can people learn more about your commission project and all of those things where do people find you online best place to go is my uh, main web page d lee jackson 
dot lbjackson.com slash commissions. I, I love that you're writing and um, getting commissioned and uh, just such an honor to talk to you about the amazing legacy uh, of your music in the world of games. And of course, now as you continue to just write music and everything, it was an absolute pleasure to talk with you, Lee. Is there anything else you want to add, though, before we go tonight? Well, I'd just like to thank you for having me on. It was a real pleasure to be on your show. Thank you for listening to Level with Emily. You can learn more about Lee Jackson. You'll find a playlist and you can support Level with Emily on patreon.com slash level. Head to our YouTube channel to see videos of our latest interviews and please do subscribe because that always helps. I'm Emily Reese. Sam Keenan is our producer. Say hi, Sam. Hi, Sam. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Level with Emily and learn more about us at levelwithemily.com, made possible by Adam Selvage at Tiki Web Services. Composer Brad Gentle manages our YouTube channel. Level with Emily Reese is a production of June Media Inc. Here at Level with Emily, we're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance. It features a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. You can hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.